close out, I'm going to kind of shift gears big time, going back into what we've been talking about for the last several weeks. I want to end this morning our conversation around the wall. If you've not been at Vintage in the last couple of weeks, I do encourage you to go back and listen uh, to the podcast. The wall represents, as a reminder, the wall represents those difficult seasons that God brings us to in our journey that are a part of every believer's journey. Right? That literally you can go back and read from people from the 100s, the 200s, the 300s, the 400 AD, all the way up to today. And every single man or woman of God who was used mightily of God throughout history, it describes in some, some fashion, some form, a wall that they had to go through in the context of their spiritual life. That wall is that place you're kind of going through life and God says, all right, it's time to take you into a place of pruning. It's a place of maturing. So I'm going to take you into a dark night of the soul, a difficult season, the Garden of Gethsemane type moment that Jesus went through. Jesus 40 days in the desert or Paul three years in the desert before he was being prepared for full-time ministry, right? This season of preparation where God looks at your life and says, here are the things that I need to do inside of you to prepare for you. Whether it's dealing with things and sin issues from your past, broken places you've dealt with, whether it's issues of of idolatry, things you've allowed to become more priority in your life than they should be, right? Jesus doing this work of pruning, doing this work of fixing, doing this work of molding, to bring you to the other side so you're now prepared for the life that God has for you in obedience to him. So with that in mind, if I know a lot of you are like, my gosh, this has been really helpful. Like I've heard, I got numerous emails, numerous texts, just numerous phone calls. People say, my gosh, this has been so helpful for me in my spiritual walk. And so with this in mind, we're going to leave the conversation this morning, but I want to invite you to continue it. So I put three books here on the screen that I want you to, to consider. You can go and buy yourself to help you in the process. You can take a picture of this. Number one is Emotionally Healthy Spirituality by Peter Scazzaro. Peter Scazzaro. It is a, I think it's chapter four in that book. We actually just studied this past week in our class that we're doing here on Wednesday nights, but you can go and read that. He does a great job of kind of walking through some of those steps. Number two is The the Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Mark Comer. So John Mark Comer was discipled by John Ortberg, who was discipled by Dallas Willard, probably one of the most important voices in the evangelical church of our season. This title, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, actually is taken from uh, from Dallas, where John Ortberg asked him one day, said, hey, Dallas, what what is the most important thing I need to know from my spiritual journey? And Dallas Willard said, it's the ruthless elimination of hurry. He goes, what else do we need to know? He goes, nothing else matters. Nothing else matters. And so this, the book doesn't actually talk about the wall, as in like literally naming it, What he does is actually describes the wall that he hit when he was pastoring a church of thousands of people and him kind of coming face to face going, is this really what I was designed for? And then his journey into the ruthless elimination of hurry in his life. I'll be honest with you, this book has been wrecking Randall and I literally since November. We've kind of been picking it up and chewing on it again and reading different parts and different pieces of it and allowing God to challenge us as he's taking us on our own journey through a wall in the season. 
And the third is Sacred Fire by Ronald Rollheiser. So if you went to Man Camp, this is the book that Micah spoke from. This is the book he spoke from. So all of his messages were not unique to him. They were all stolen from Ronald, right? No, so he took, the, he took most of his stuff and kind of the, the specifics of his story, uh, and he took it from Ronald Rollheiser. So I encourage you again just to go read those books. Let me say this. As you read through, I don't want you to think I'm saying yes to everything in the books because I don't think that's the case with any book that you read. So go and read and obviously keep your Jesus hat on if theology and stuff. But recognize there's so many great truths in all of these books. Again, just kind of outside, maybe outside of the realm of things you've read in the past. Right, just different ways of thinking in the context of the kingdom. A lot of you know who Annie Downs is. Took at camp last year. Actually, John Mark Comer's a good friend of hers, and uh, so I've actually listened to a few of his podcasts. He's a great guy. I encourage you to even listen to his stuff. Um, so, super, really, really good. So, again, I encourage you. This is a journey God has you on to go embrace it and engage it, and um, be great. They have a lot better things to say than I have so far, and so you can learn a lot from them. All right. So, with that in mind, I want to shift gears uh, this morning by fo- by kind of ending by focusing on the results, the results of going through the wall. So, let's say, I mean, you're on this journey to the wall, and there's always another side. Right. There's like you come up to the wall, you go through the wall and then thank Jesus. There is a whole other side over here where then there's the life that you're living, where you're experiencing the results of what God wanted on the other side of this wall. Right. This idea of God's doing something in us and things he's trying to accomplish in us. And he is successful. With it in mind, I want to look at a story where we see someone going through a wall and then getting to the other side from Luke chapter 24. Uh, verses 30 through 35. And before I dive into the story, I want to kind of set it up. This is a really familiar story. This is a really familiar story. This is like a post-resurrection, post-resurrection story where you got Cleopas, the disciple of Jesus, and his buddy, right? We have no idea who the buddy is, right? So we'll just call him buddy. When you get to heaven, you can just call him, hey, you're Cleopas' buddy. That's all you can just call him that, right? It'd be really funny. He'll think it's hilarious, I promise. And so you got Cleopas and his buddy walking from Jerusalem back to their house. And we know from the story, man, like they've hit a wall. Jesus has just died. Jesus has died. Therefore, the last three years of all their hopes and all their dreams have been crushed in a moment. Like, do you know anybody who's ever experienced that? Have you ever experienced that in your own spiritual life, right? They are disillusioned. They are confused, and they're heading back home because there's really just nothing left for them to go after in Jerusalem because everything they were living for died in Jesus. Right? Like, and so here's the thing. Like, when you read the story, it's really easy to know, no, no, this is a really good thing, guys, I promise. And so you lose the weight of it. But could you imagine putting yourself in their shoes? Like the emotions that are going on, the weight that's happening, the experience of their own journey through a wall of disillusionment that is absolutely and completely overwhelming. And so in that journey, some, just some character comes up and starts walking with them. Have you ever had somebody come up trying to start talking to you on a journey that you're on and you're in a bad mood and don't want to talk to anybody? That's happening. Jesus is that guy, right? Jesus is the annoying guy walking with them, asking them very annoying questions like, why are you so downcast? What happened in Jerusalem? What? Right? Whatever it may be. This is what's going on right here. And they're like, oh my gosh, are you an idiot? Don't you know what happened in Jerusalem? You're the only one who doesn't know? Yeah, what's going 
on, right? So they're having this conversation. And so Jesus then starts to like look at them. Yeah, at one point he goes, oh my gosh, you're so blind. Seriously, what's going on? And starts explaining from Scripture all this stuff, right? And so they say, this is a really great conversation. We thought you were weird, but we actually like you. Come back to our house and let's do dinner together. We pick it up in verse 30. When he was at the table with them, Jesus, he took bread, he gave thanks, he broke it, and began to give it to them. Sorry. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our heart burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Like this moment of like clarity, eyes open. They've gotten to the other side of the wall and they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord has risen. He has appeared to Simon, and the two told of what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized them, recognized by them when he broke the bread. In this story, we see Jesus. He's with them in the wall. He's with them on this journey to the other side of the wall. And when they get to the other side, their eyes are open, Scripture says, and their hearts are burning. The heart, listen, the desire and goal of Jesus is to never lead us, excuse me, never leave us on this side of the wall or cause us to spend our life going through the wall. His goal is to get us to the other side. And we get to the other side in those moments, all of a sudden we have our eyes open and our hearts burn in a unique way that they never have before in the context of our relationship with him. That's the goal. And so the thing I want you to see, even in the story, and this is not even a major point here, but I just want you to see this, that in their journey through the wall, you cannot miss the fact that Jesus is walking with them, and they are clueless and unaware of it. Like, I received this as saying, when I'm going through a wall, and when you're going through a wall, I have a deep conviction with everything inside of me that when you say, I can't hear Jesus, I can't feel Jesus, and I can't see Jesus, I sit there in confidence going, but he's with you, you just can't recognize it. That's the point I want you to see, and this is part of the story. You may not hear, see, or understand, or know, but he is with you. And he's speaking into the moment because he is committed to walk with you through the wall that you are facing in the moment of your life until you get to the other side and your eyes are opened. Like eyes opening speaks to we were blind before, but now we see. We were blind to something, but now we see. We're all blind to something. And God wants to open up our eyes to see, and he wants our hearts to burn. Like, I just wonder how confident are we in saying, my heart burns for God. So in this story, 
we see God's move and take him through the wall. And I think there are characteristics that we see when God takes us through walls. I'm honestly stealing this straight from Scazzaro in his book. I think it's the last part of the chapter, chapter 4. Just four different works that God brings about in the journey to the wall. These are our results. This is what happens for us. I'm going to name a couple of them. You're going to go, eh, I'm not sure I want that one. Here we go. Number one, when we go to the wall, there's a greater level of brokenness. Right? There's a greater level of brokenness. You're like, eh, I'm not sure I'll sign up for that one, right? But the idea of brokenness is that it speaks to humility. It speaks to humility, the place where God moves us from being self-focused to God and others-focused. Here in the story of these disciples, they were probably just like all the other disciples. Like, I don't know if you remember this or not, but... Jesus has that moment right at Passover. He says, hey, we're going we're gonna to celebrate Passover together. And he institutes what we call the Lord's Supper, right? He institutes what we celebrate right here every Sunday, the Lord's Supper. And Jesus does it with an intention of creating a moment, right? This is an important moment. This is something to, for him that's a really, really big deal. He's having this moment to share with them and to celebrate and tell them who he is, right? Then he takes a bathroom break. He walks out the door and he comes back to the disciples arguing. He's like, what are they arguing about? And he walks in and hears them arguing about who is the greatest of all of them. I mean, what a letdown for Jesus. All right. What a letdown. I just shared the moment. And the only takeaway that you have is to argue selfishly about who is the greatest. And I have a feeling that Cleopas and his boy are having the same conversation. They're part of the argument. Right? Having the same argument. They're in the moment about who is the greatest. Who is the best? Completely missing the moment. Because every single one of them live with the understanding God's kingdom is now coming, and tomorrow we will reign with him, and someone's going to be at his right hand. I think it's going to be me. And so with that in mind, what that means is if it is them, and they're arguing about it, then it means they are looking to self first and not exalting their own brothers they've lived with for the past three years. There's a greater level of humility and brokenness that needed to happen in the context of their life. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we see that happening here for these guys. We see it actually happening. We see literally the disciples pulling back and saying, no, no, let's just go wait for God's spirit. And then you see Peter and John, who are like mortal enemies in Scripture, getting up together and preaching the gospel and thousands coming to Christ. I say mortal enemies. That's a that's an exaggeration. But you know what I mean? They didn't like one another, okay? Like I think about the story, like with Randall and I, we several years ago, I say several years ago, it's been like over a decade now. We went to Mozambique, South Africa, excuse me, in Af- the southern part of Africa, uh, and, and spent, a, spent a couple of weeks there doing some ministry. And so one day we're doing like prison ministry. Uh, and so they'd say, it was like Randall and I, I think one other person, and, and we went and got in this van. We drove to this prison and we, and we walked in. Now the prison is not like a prison you think of. It's like you walk in, like we, we drove in, they have this big gate, we go down and there's, it's like, just like, it looks like a dungeon, like an outdoor dungeon. And there's literally like, a, like imagine like here, you're, you're driving in together. There's like a big dirt hole right here, maybe like five, like five by 10, right? 
and there's this big, like Lewis, a big dirt hole, and there's a gate over it. And I'm like, that's odd, right? And so we literally, we, we walk in, the guy's saying, hey, there's going to be some prisoners come out. We're going to kind of just, we're going to sh- preach the gospel to them, and, and then we'll go. I'm like, that's just odd, but okay, right? So I'm like, where's the prison? All of a sudden, the hole, I look inside, and there are men inside. And they start opening up the gate, and they start motioning, not very nicely, right? Motioning for them to come out. And you can just see them sheepishly like, oh, all right, what's going on? And they kind of come out and they say, sit right there. I couldn't even understand language. But they're like, sit right here. I'm like, okay. And so they all kind of sit down. They're just like this. right? They won't look at us. And so I, I, did, like, I just did what I know to do. I just, well, if they're sitting, I'll just sit down with them. And so Randall and I sat down together, about 15 of them, right? They kind of did like looked at us, looked at them, looked at us like, why are these people sitting down, right? I said, hey, hey, right here. And I started talking to him. Just started loving on him. Started, like, having a normal conversation with these guys, right? Sitting down on their level. And these guys up here, they're just still standing up, kind of looking like, what is going on here, right? And I recognized in the moment these men had never been, since they had gotten here, had not been treated like human beings since they got there. Even the people who came to preach the gospel were preaching the gospel at them, not to love them as the gospel. And so I began to, we just began to, I didn't preach at him. I just shared Jesus. I just told him how, much, how he felt about them and how excited he was for them to have this moment to interact. And that he, like they may have made terrible decisions, but in that moment, listen, I had made terrible decisions. You see, when you go through the journey of the wall, you sit before people and go, I'm not better than anyone sitting in front of me. I am equal to you, brother. I just have made, you made some bad decisions that got you where I, but I'm one decision away, right? Like we all, church says, oh, what heights from which Adam has fallen. In, right? We all are human beings capable of making terrible decisions. Brother, as I sit before you, the gospel's absolutely for you. Because when Jesus died, he was thinking of all of us. See, the journey to the wall awakens to you that you're just not that important. And you're definitely not more important than somebody else. Journey to the wall opens you to the fact that God loves you and he loves this person in front of you equally. Like, how well do we do at doing that? Do you see yourself as better than other people? Do you go to the McDonald's line and go, oh, poor people, whatever it may be, right? Number two, a greater appreciation for holy unknowing. A greater appreciation for holy unknowing. Like me, a lot of us have had those moments where we wonder, God, mm, what exactly are you doing? And when we say it, we mean like, now, that's not the way it should be done, Jesus, right? God, what are you doing? You see, I like to, in my life, I like to control things, and I have a construct. I have a construct I've created in my mind of how God and when God is supposed to move. I have lived with this construct that says this. If I obey God, if I obey God and don't have active sin in my life, then God will bless me and not allow anything bad to happen in my life, Right? So I live with this construct. Okay, if I will just obey God, I don't have any active sin in my life, then God will bless me and not allow anything bad to happen in my life. So when life is good, then I think that God is keeping his end of the bargain because everything is good. But when something happens, and it always does, I am left wondering, God, 
God, why is this happening? And I, still, I did the sin check. If I have active sin in my life? Okay, well, I, I don't. Then why is this happening? Because your job is to bless me because I'm being obedient to you. I've been, a good, I've been a good son, so bless me. Well, this isn't, the problem is this is just not a biblical construct. Listen, in these moments where all of a sudden something goes on, I feel out of control. And if honest, I'm not sure if I trust God to put things back in place. See, the journey is that moment of saying, listen, see, there are just things you don't understand. There's this part of this journey you, quite, you can't quite get. I have to do this work. Cleopas, buddy, I'm sorry. You're on this journey. I know it's really, really difficult, but I'm getting to the other side. I'm trying to. I'm doing a work of purging. I'm doing a work of change. I'm doing a work of bringing you to wholeness, and you can trust me along the way. I know it's hard. It was hard for me, too, when I died on the cross. I get it. Some things are hard. It's just an understanding. I'm with you in that, right? Like, I'll never forget one of my favorite things about my girls when they were little is when they would stand on high places and I would stand on low places and they all knew this is the moment we're going to make you jump. Right? Because I'm going to show how awesome a catcher I am. Right? And so they would get to high places and I would look at them and say, hey, I know you don't get it, but I can catch you. I want you to jump. And they would do the look on their face because like like this, like they look at me, look down, they go right? And then they had that moment, you get to see the little brains just spinning and just spinning. And then finally, there was just that moment like, okay. And then they would just launch out and I would catch, right? And I always loved these moments. Because in that moment, in their control of their situation, they had to make a decision. Do I relinquish control to dad and trust, trust that when I jump, he will catch me? You know, what's really funny is there were times I didn't. There were times when they would jump without me knowing it, and they would hit the ground like, Dad, I'm like, you didn't even tell me you were jumping, right? There just was. It's terrible and funny all at the same time. But there was that moment for both of them of having to, like, say, all right, I can't know for sure he's going to catch, but I'm going to trust and jump anyway. In the context of our lives, we have to get to the place that we are willing to relinquish control to Jesus and say, I don't know. I don't know if look you catching me, but I know that you're good and I will trust you. The greater appreciation, the holy unknowing of how everything works. It's where we get to Isaiah's words in chapter 55 and verse 8 and 9. It says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Like, the thing of the journey is like, I don't, I want to control, but I know that I can't. So I'm going to give you control, but that's really, really hard for me. But I know that your ways are not my ways, and your thoughts are not my thoughts. And I'm okay, Jesus, because I know that you are good, that you work all things for your glory. With this mystery and trust in mind. Peter Scazzaro, in his book, We Talk Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, says, One of the great fruits of the wall is a childlike, deep in love for mystery. Not having to know everything, right? Not having to control things. We can rest more easily and live more freely on the other side of the wall, knowing that God is in control and he is worthy of our trust. See, God brings us to the wall to teach us to surrender 
where we can say, God, your will be done. I trust you. Your will be done. I trust you. Number three thing that we learn through the walls, a deeper, like a result of the walls, a deeper ability to wait for God. Here in our story from Luke, these two disciples, Cleopas and his buddy, they had left Jerusalem to head home because they just couldn't wait any longer. Jesus' timeline was not working for them. Jesus' timeline was not working for them. How often do we struggle in life because God doesn't move in our timing? Like we pray, we believe, and we don't, he doesn't move how I want to, so we just go ahead and run ahead of him in the moment, Right? How many bad decisions have we made in life because we just don't wait for him? One of the classic run ahead of God stories is Abraham and Sarah having, Abraham and Sarah who said, yeah, say I'm going to give you a child, the angel says, right? And they wait 10 years and 10 years was like their limit. 10 years was the limit. says, well... We're going to take things in our own hands now. So they said, let's go take Hagar and have a baby with her. We'll name him Mishmael, right? And all of a sudden, they were like, realized, ah, we missed God. We missed him. We missed him. That's Genesis 16, 1 through 4. Go read it, right? Abraham realized he missed it. And to journey to the walls, he spent 14 more years recognizing that he had missed God, had run ahead of God. And his broken place, so all of a sudden, Isaac then is born. 24 years after the promise. Like, I would have told God 20, you know, that's long enough. Right? A couple, a couple, like a couple of, listen, our culture is a couple, it's like a couple of days, right? Jesus, it's been two days. 24 years. But in that process of journey to the wall, you know what God did? The work of preparation to make Abraham ready to be the father of of all nations. We learn through the wall. It teaches us to wait, to lean into Jesus, to follow his lead. It causes, listen, the goal of the wall is to create a ruthless elimination of your sense of importance so you'll stop hurrying. The need to produce something so you'll feel like you have value because you hurry. And just to say, no, 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 it's okay, just rest in Jesus. All right? Psalm 27, 14, wait for the Lord. I love David here. He says, wait for the Lord. And he says, because it's super hard, you've got to be strong. You've got to take heart. You've got to be courageous. You need to wait for the Lord. See, waiting is not for the faint of heart. Listen, waiting is hard. Waiting is overwhelming. Like, you, when you do it, you have to be strong because you want to give in. And kind of run ahead of Jesus, right? You've got to be courageous because you want to give up in the moment. You have to wait for the Lord. Waiting for the Lord is not for the faint of heart. It requires us to be strong, to take heart, and to wait. The wall teaches us that God is in control and we can wait and trust Him in it. And the last thing, just one of the last things, is a greater detachment from the world. We go through the wall, it creates a greater detachment from the things of the world. Scazzaro says this, the critical issue on the journey with God is not, am I happy, but am I free? It's not, am I happy, but am I free? The problem with many in this age is we have grown too attached to the things of the world, and many times it just keeps us from being obedient to Jesus. I want you to imagine the rich young ruler for a moment. 
I want you to think about the rich young ruler in the New Testament. Jesus comes to him and tells him, not theoretically, not a theoretical ask, but an actual practical ask to sell all of his belongings and give them to the poor. It says he, it says he was sad and he walked away from Jesus because he was rich and he couldn't part from his earthly belongings. He was too attached. He was trapped by his belongings. And hear this. This is the reason for a greater detachment. He was a prisoner to his belongings. He was a prisoner to his attachments. He was a prisoner to his possessions. He was a prisoner to all the things that he had gotten and accumulated over the years that brought him a sense of value, that brought him a sense of joy, that brought him a sense of peace. He had grown connected to his belongings and become a prisoner, such so that he couldn't even give himself to Jesus and the kingdom of God because his possessions became before them. He was a prisoner. How think about it today's world. Kind of bring it home for a second. You pray a prayer probably in the, in the middle of worship when all of your emotions are like, oh my gosh, God, I love you. Right? Think like you're, you're like your one camp experience over there. God, I love you. You're so great, Jesus. I will follow you all the days of my life. I couldn't imagine not being more in love with you than I am right now. God, I will do whatever you ask me to do and go wherever you want me to go, Jesus. You are Lord and I am not. You're so good, Jesus. And so you're in prayer. Like two weeks later, that little high is kind of worn off. You're like, Ooh, life's back to normal. You get like a distant memory and Jesus says, hey, I never forgot that. Um, I need you to do me a favor. I need you to sell one of your cars. I know you got two in the family, but I want you to sell one of your cars, right? Um, and then I need you to move, I need you to downsize your home by half. I need you to downsize your home. I need you to move into an area that's actually a needy area of people who are in need, who need me every day. I need you to kind of move in there, if you don't mind. Uh, I know you're over here super comfortable. I need you to lose. I need you to leave comfort because I need you to come over here. And, and then I want you to do me a favor. I need you to open up. You got, you're going to have an extra room in your house, right? This is going to sit there. You're going to vacuum it once a week, but you don't really need it for yourself. So why don't you take one of your home, your one of your rooms, and why don't you let somebody who's actually in need Live in that room with you so you can do life with them and you can be Jesus to them. This would be really, really great. And this, in the context of that, here's what you do. I need you to take one vacation, but just five days this year, right? Really for the next three to five years, just take one vacation for five days. That would be awesome. Thank you so much for that prayer in the middle of worship. Right? And I say that and you're like, Oh my gosh, man, I'm not sure how I like that. I'm not sure how I feel about that, right? Like that'd be really, really hard. Like right now, your mind should be spinning on the difficulty of that. And then you have to ask yourself, why is that so hard? Is it because I'm a prisoner to my culture? I'm a prisoner to my attachments? And I'm a prisoner to the lifestyle that I've achieved. The journey through the wall is to help you by building a detachment from the things that you hold dear. That's the purpose of the wall. Listen, the funny thing about all the things that I named 
is it would actually still keep you in the top 1%, the wealthiest people in the world, compared to everybody else. Right? It would. But we've so attached ourselves to a specific lifestyle that I just wonder, and you need to wonder in the presence of Jesus, have I grown so attached? That's why I'm going through the wall, because I'm actually a prisoner and didn't even know it. God's goal is not to make me happy in my possessions. It's to make me free. Now, here's the thing about these things. I'm not telling you to do all of that. I just created a hypothetical, right? Like, I wonder if some of you got offended that I even brought it up. And then you have to really ask yourself, why? Like, there's one thing getting a little upset, but why am I actually offended? Here's the thing about all these things. There's nothing wrong with those things that I named, right? Unless we are so attached to them that we can't live without them. For if we are too attached, again, then we are slaves to those things. Moving us towards detachment then is a gift of freedom from Jesus. Because it means nothing in this world has control over me. Paul had the revelation. Remember in Philippians, he says these really, honestly, inflammatory words. He says, to live is Christ, but man to die. Mm, that's gain. Right? Mm, to live is Christ. And he goes, I don't know which one to choose. So I go ahead and just choose to live or choose to die because, man, both of them would be awesome. He says, what he says, to live has nothing to do with anything in the world, nothing to do with my friends, nothing to do with my family, nothing to do with my possessions. To live is simply to be with Jesus. He says, everything in the world is so detached from it, the only thing that matters is Jesus. And then if I die, what powerful gain is that? Because then I see him face to face. Have you ever read the story of Paul? I'll just say this. I don't want to live his life. He talked about the shipwrecks. He saw him get, like, bit by vipers. All right? He was shipwrecked twice. He was stoned multiple times. Not signing up for that one, right? It's like, man, he's living his life completely ostracized by all of his best friends from his 20s. Because he went from Judaism, where he was like beating and killing Christians, to say, no, 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 I am the apostle to those who have never heard the Gentiles. Man, Paul says, I've learned to live detached. Because the only thing that matters is I have my hands open and say, Jesus, you're everything that I need. In you is everything. Again, I'm not asking you of any of these things. I'm not. That's not, that's not. I'm not Jesus in your life. I'm just trying to lead you to what it means to be detached and let you ask some really honest questions before the Lord about what you're a prisoner to, right? And then to let him speak into those things. So, um, all right. So, the wall is a gift, right? The wall is a gift. That's the point. The wall is a gift. Whether you can see it or not, the wall is a gift. He takes us through it. He teaches us to trust him. 
He teaches us, hey, you're not better than anyone else. You don't look down upon anybody. You don't just associate with people in the same socioeconomic class that you're in. Just have friends who dress just like you and who sound just like you, right, and who are cool just like you. No, man, you are multifaceted and varied in who you give yourself to because everyone is equal in the eyes of God, right? And God just moves us to a place of detachment saying to live is Christ. That's why I exist, to die. Man, that's awesome, too. God wants to do this work through the wall. And this morning as we end, I invite Toby to come up. As we end our time, right, we celebrate, right, we're now owners of, we're proud owners of our land, right? We're still believing in God for future direction. We believe God's moving in each of your life and doing powerful and wonderful and beautiful things. Some of you are in the journey through the wall. I want you to hear me say, hey, you're just like Cleopas and his buddy. You're not alone. Jesus is with you. He's speaking. You don't realize it right now. There's going to be a moment all of a sudden your eyes are open and your heart's going to be burning. And in those moments, the result of these are the four things we named this morning and a myriad of other things that ultimately lead you to saying, Jesus is everything that I need. And so the response this morning in our time of worship and in our time of prayer is super simple. You going to Jesus and having a conversation about surrender. That's it. It's just you personally. Don't nudge your spouse. You better do this. No, it's you focusing on you. You focusing on you and saying, Jesus, what are so the prayer of examine? Search me, O God, and know every unholy, unrighteous way in me, God, and purify me. God, show me. And then you surrender and say, Jesus, not my will be done, but your will. So, Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you just for the call to surrender. Lord, I, man, Lord, I'm super thankful that um, when you call us to surrender, that you're okay with us saying, all right, Jesus, I'm going to surrender, but can we have a conversation about this first? This was hard for me. Just like we do with our children. Dad, okay, I'll do that, but can we just talk about it real quick to unpack those things? I thank you that you're just a really good father. It's like, yeah, yeah, let's just sit down and talk. Let's talk through this. I pray, Father, you just help lead people into a beautiful conversation with you this morning, God, about attachments and detachment, about their heart and their mind, God, about feeling lonely in the context of, of their trial, in the context of their journey to the wall. I just pray, Jesus, for intimacy. I pray the ability to hear your voice. I pray, God, for your nearness. I just pray for a sweetness and relationship with you this morning. God, I pray for those who've never given their lives to Jesus and they think this is all insane. I pray that you would meet them this morning and show them that you love them just like you did those guys who are sitting in the prison that day in Mozambique. And you just, and you, just you, like you called us, but God, you sat down with them loved on them. And I pray, Jesus, those this morning who don't know you sitting here, just pray, Jesus, you would sit down with them and open their ears to hear you, that you love them, that you're for them, and that you're calling them to surrender all these things that are keeping them prisoners in the world in which they live. So, Father, come and you do you and have your way.